I'm Carol Coletta, and this is Night Cities. Spontaneous interventions design actions for the common good first appeared as the official U.S. presentation at the 13th International Architecture Exhibition at the Venice Biennale in 2012. I first saw it at the Chicago Cultural Center the following year, and this summer, I ran into a condensed version of the exhibition and its organizer, Kathy Ho, on Governor's Island in New York. Kathy, many of us know about events such as Parking Day and Parklets and Better Blocks. You've collected a wealth of such examples in the exhibition you put together for the Biennale in 2012 called Spontaneous Interventions. It's all about the global movement of architects, designers, artists, and citizens acting on their own initiative to make improvements to the urban realm. What started this movement and what's fueling its growth? When we wrote the proposal for the exhibition, it was in 2011. In that course of that year, you saw a lot of protest movements basically taking over the world and actually since, and so, which I think has reinforced the relevance of, of what this show is about, which is in many ways just new, new forms of, of protest. Um, so there are urban actions in public space and in many different incarnations, they're, they're, really, they're really new forms, I think, of, of basically protesting the way public space is formed and the way that behavior in public spaces is, is uh, prescribed. I don't think it's too much, I don't think it would, be, it would be too much to call this idea as a, a new political philosophy and a, an urban ideology and also a cultural trend in which literally anybody can be this agent of urban transformation. And just the fact that in the years since we started collecting these projects, this movement, this movement, it's, it, which is worldwide and also just is continuing with this momentum, it's just it's it's composed of so many diverse actors who are just creating projects that are large and small, and they range from you know infrastructure hijacking to digital networking platforms and urban agriculture, landscape as remediation, food is a big issue. You know now you see more urban orchards, some sanctioned, some not. Um, crowdsource data gathering, all of these things, which is part of this trend of governments trying to be more transparent. So um, there's just so many, there's so, there's so many parts to it. And I think it's, it's, it's bubbling up from the bottom down, but it's also interestingly being looked at from the top down where governments want to be, I think, more accessible. And they're looking for, they're recognizing that good ideas can come from all quarters. It doesn't necessarily need to come from experts and from and from, from, from elected officials. Talk a little bit more, Kathy, about protest protesting what? What are the things that spontaneous interventions are pushing against? We noticed this trend where we saw interesting artists and creative people and architects and designers who were generating their own projects. And again, in 2011, 2012, it wasn't a great moment for the economy. And so in times of economic difficulty, people who are really good at what they do, they don't stop working, they, they generate their own projects. And so we started to look at the kinds of projects that people were, were doing. But then you step back and you say, well, what, what are the problems that these things are responding to? What is it about American cities today that are inviting people to intervene? Because the theory would be that if people's needs are being taken care of, you wouldn't have such a reaction. And when, when you have so many actions, counteractions in, in public space that are not, that are not invited, Every single, every single one, in some ways, can is can be looked at as a as a as a form of protest, as an act of subvert, subversion. Um, they're challenging not just the a current situation, a current condition, 
the, the way that a, a site is or, um, the, you know, and the way that infrastructure works or the lack of access to, to certain amenities. But you also have to look at the, the current problem and say, what are all of the, the factors that have pre precipitated this problem? We did kind of an inventory of the, the prevalent problems that a lot of these projects were responding to. And a lot of it has to do with just the state of urban economies today, especially in you know, legacy cities, problematic cities, um, but urban blight and crumbling infrastructure and the general disinvestment in cities, um, vacancies and property ab abandonment and lack of access uh, to amenities like open space and culture and recreation and a general, I think there's heightened interest in, you know, in he healthiness, um, different, different mobility options. So there's this confluence of I think desires and also values that that everybody's coming to to share, and we're looking for them and we're not finding them in what exists out there. And so, so these actors, again, the actors that we collected in the show, um, they weren't waiting for instruction. They just developed solutions and and enacted them. And in some ways, what we really we really are recognizing is just the act of acting. This whole new form of activism, which I think is interesting. You said you collected more than 500 project examples. Uh, for the for the shows, do you have your favorites? There's definitely these standout projects, which I think are worth highlighting, mostly because of of um, the impacts they've made. So, Build a Better Block is a group from Dallas, um, Jason Roberts and Andrew Howard, and it started out with a couple of guys just biking around their town and wondering why the streets of Dallas seem so dead and and um, and not very much street life. And so they, with a team of friends and volunteers, overnight transformed one block into what they thought was a better block. And so it had a bike lane and sidewalk cafe seating and plants and live music and some um, you know, pop-up shops and things. But what they did, that, which is interesting, is that they also posted on the street all the laws that they were breaking while they were doing this. And so, you know, so there was these laws like, you know, no, no, no music, uh, no, no public music between these hours and um, various other laws, which, which I think also points to the fact that sometimes laws are on the books and people just forget about them. And, and there's zonings that don't make a lot of sense. Um, so single use zonings. And many years later, and as neighborhoods change and as cities change and, and grow, you know, we have to question at what moment do, do we relook at these things and revise them? And so, so what they did was this, they call it a live charrette. And, you know, they basically made the kind of block that any of us would feel happy and, and, and comfortable walking down. And so what they started out as doing is, is very illicit. But now, you know, I think they've done more than 30 or 40 of them across the country. Now they're invited by municipalities to come and do it as a demonstration project. Um, so it's becoming a little bit more institutional. But I think what's what's again, what's interesting about this one is that cities are looking at them to, to, to do this as an exercise because they're looking at this as a, as a potential economic development tool to say, how do we enliven our blocks? And again, it's not just for the liveliness of the, you know, the, the pleasure and the entertainment, but it's, it's, it's a way to, to make neighborhoods more appealing for small businesses to, to, to pop in. Um, so that's, that's, a, that's a good one. Parklets, you know, everybody, I, it's funny because now the more we've been looking at these projects, the more in a way they've also become, we've become so, at least I have, maybe it's because I've been looking at them for so long. Um, they've almost become a little bit twee, and that's kind of a risk in a way where you worry that that the minute that um, you start to see, I, what did I just see the other day? I saw, I saw a pair, um, an article in The Onion, <laughs> and it was almost parodying. It said something like, oh, mayor of some uh, you know, decaying Rust Belt town has the zany idea to to liven up its waterfront with green spaces and you know, a retail entertainment district. And 
you know, think about this, how nuts is this, making a, a vacant lot into a, a, an urban farm, and you think, oh God, the minute it starts being parody, is it is it is it is it over? It's not it's not really alternative or insurgent or guerrilla anymore. But I, I think it's actually a triumph if these projects start to make institutional inroads and where governments are starting to look at them and seeing how can these be tactics that they can use. You mentioned better blocks and the and the fact that in the beginning they posted the the laws that they were breaking. Now they're being invited by, by municipalities to demonstrate how to change the laws and that the changes work. In other words, even the leaders of municipalities, right, mayors, city council members, et cetera, sometimes need the demonstration to show why changing a law, changing a regulation is not threatening, uh, mm -hmm. won't do damage. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm wondering, and so that's a terrific effect on public policy, I think. Ha mm -hmm. Are there other um, examples of spontaneous interventions that you've identified that ha are having similar uh, impact on public policy? Um, yeah, those are the projects that we're trying to track um, carefully because I think that, again, as as this project grows, what's more interesting than collecting more and more examples is to start to track impacts. And and also, you know, impacts, projects that, that do well and grow, and but also we have to also look at failures, you know, and to be realistic too, to say, how many community message boards do you need? Um, is it just a feel-good thing or, or not? Is it really bonding a community? To what extent is the community more empowered um, or not? So, and and just the idea of tactics and talk, calling this tactics in the sense that you, you think about these as, as um, tools that, that people who are normally not in power are, you know, that, and, that anybody can basically enact. I mean, I think that that's the most interesting part about this um, response is that the idea opens up the whole process, which is really be bewildering to a lot of people. And so, um, you know, just the fact that this, I think, highlights or spotlights for a lot of people how public space is formed. I mean, you know, we're, we're if you work in the architecture design industry, if you're a journalist, you might have some understanding about processes like community board meetings and city council and proposals between developers and mayors and, you know, all of this, these things. But an everyday citizen, I don't think necessarily would walk by a vacant lot and think, oh, I'd really want something else to go there besides a luxury condo. If they see a sign for luxury condo going up, they might accept that that's just what's going to happen and that it's inevitable. And so I think that just just the fact that, you know, you have these actions and even if the action is short lived and even if it's absurd, um, you know, like a like a, a, a parking spot that's for one day um, layered down with sod and has parking, has benches and, you know, a gumball machine or like a golf course or whatever you want to say, even if they're absurd, it does make people look twice, I think, at at, um, at city land and public land and private land and, you know, the space that we all share and the, the space that we pass through in cities and think, oh, what, what could this be or what should this be? So Parking Day is, um, you know, it started out as this, a couple, you know, these guys in Rebar and San Francisco design firm who in this active, well, you know, again, it's this active rebellion, um, took over a parking spot and made it into a little mini park and fed the meter all day. And this thing didn't last long. It was maybe half a day. And, and but this, but the, what's interesting about this also is that it's an image, it's an, it, it lived on as an image. They took a picture of it and they put it online and this image went viral. And this is also then the potential and, and the reason why I think that tactical urbanism and this kind of um, insurgent urbanism is, is spreading everywhere is because these tiny ideas can go everywhere and get adopted and imitated in no time. And so, so now you have 
International Parking Day in, I don't know, 60 countries in the world. September 21st, it's coming up. Um, and again, what's interesting about this movement is that there's a lot of cities, Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York, that then started to experiment with and institute um, parklet permit programs. And so um, I like the San Francisco example because it's a parklet permit that not just businesses can apply for, but also resident residents. And so in New York, it's a pop-up cafe license that businesses can apply for in the summer months to take over their parking spots in front of their businesses to extend their sidewalk cafes. So it's much more about about um, you know kind of a, a, com a commercial a commercial use, which is also fine. But in San Francisco, the guidelines are um, you know that the the, par the parklet of whoever is applying for parklet has to make sure that the space is accessible to anybody, has seating, and you know so it's really like a it's really a design thing. In your programming at Governor's Island this summer, you explored a range of related topics, urban vacancies, citizen science, community-based urban design processes, the right to the city movement, collaborative economies, open source tools, city data mapping. Was there anything this summer that you heard that seems like a candidate for a second exhibition? In, in doing the show, we've come in touch with so many, and you know, really hundreds of actors, people who are who are in it doing it, who are in their communities and rolling up their sleeves and doing the work. And what I've seen is needed is that a, a, a way that they can network with each other and that they can also be found and matched somehow with communities that are interested in these innovative responses that they come up with. So so I think going forward, and, and we, we'd love to you know, have residency again on Governor's Island because I think that that fantastic thing about Governor's Island and you you know the place is that it it basically embodies everything that spontaneous interventions is all about. Um, it's it's this great experiment in how people can make a park together, and it's um, you know what's the Leslie Koch, who's the president for the Trust for Governor's Island, she says it's a park for people for New Yorkers by New Yorkers. And it's true that they have this open process where pro programming partners like myself can come in and say, I'd like to do something on, in this house or on that lawn or in this tree. And um, and we do it. <laughs> and so um, and having this experience this last summer where it wasn't a design audience, it wasn't a Biennale audience, it wasn't a it wasn't even really like the audience that we had at the Chicago Cultural Center, which is a great real public building downtown in a city that is confronting a lot of the urban problems that we address in the show. And so that was a whole nother meaningful experience because I felt like that resonated a lot with the people who were going through that show because they could relate to what was going on. But in Governor's Island, I think what was interesting is that it was it was a, an everyday and a very local audience who were, were, were seeking experiences. And it's more participatory and more hands-on, which we learned. And so I think what would be a really valuable thing to be able to continue to do is to kind of provide a platform or an umbrella where we can collect interesting uh, placemakers or artists, architects, designers who are working in this this tactical urbanism realm, and give them space, give them give them the ability to do to conduct public workshops. Kathy, as you talk about creating a platform so that tactical urbanists and those who are trying to do the projects and and doing the projects that you documented so well in spontaneous interventions creating a platform for them to network with each other and spread their work. You should know about the Night Cities Challenge, which is opening up for applications October 1st through November 14th. We'll make available uh, funds, in fact, $5 million in funds oh for uh, people with ambitious ideas to uh, drive talent and opportunity and engagement in night cities. The ideas can come from anyone, anywhere. 
They hmm. can be small projects, but as long as the idea is big and yeah. uh, the application is very simple. So we want people listening to this conversation and certainly you to spread through your network that uh, that that money's available and we'd love to have them apply at nightcities.org. Mm-hmm. Also at Governor's Island this summer, you installed an imagination playground which mm-hmm. is a portable playground in a box developed by the Rockwell Group. Do, mm-hmm. you, do you expect spontaneous interventions to move in that direction, more ideas in a box for easy execution and scaling? You, you know, the people who are really in the movement, I think, who are probably horrified maybe at the idea of, of it having anything but a strong political dimension and and would feel uncomfortable with the idea that it's, if, it, if it's if it's overly commodified in a sense, but that, you know that being said, we all aspire to same or similar goals, which is that we have healthier, more accessible, more inclusive public spaces that brings diverse people together, and you know all of these things. Um, so I think I think that the, the range of the responses is, is is really wide, and they go from one end of the spectrum, veering towards more public art and personal expressions in public space, which have embedded, um, you know, strong social commentary like any good art does. And then on the other end, real tactics that looks to have accessible solutions. And so, you know, I think like the playground in the box, I'm a fan of it because I've seen that. I've seen that on my site every single day. And the minute we put it out, there's kids, there's kids, there's kids clamoring all over it. And, and I know that this playground has been um, the Rockwell group, they've been great in, in donating it to places like in Haiti and Bangladesh. And I imagine the same thing happening there that happens on our site, which is that Kids know what to do. They're dying for something to play with. It's super easy, and you know it, it's great. Um, I don't. I don't think tactical urbanism can be, as a whole, generalized in any way at all. Just because the actors are so different and their their motiv their their motivations are so vast. Um, and again, you know, you work in this territory too, so you know how hard it is to 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 to, to grab onto it. So, what part do you grab onto? Do you grab onto the social impact, public interest interest design part? Do you do you grab onto the community building, you know, meaningful art, creative placemaking part, you know, do you, which, which part do you, do you, um, do you focus on? And it's, it's, it's really everything. Um, and it's, and, and I think that because it's becoming increasingly um, formalized in other senses, I, I don't, I hope that that isn't, uh, um, doesn't dissuade people from continuing to do what they're doing. And in a certain sense, I think that what it might do is that it might make the, um, the, 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 the part of the profession and, you know, the really conceptual thinkers who understand the real value of, um, of good analysis, site analysis, research, uh, social research, engagement with the community, and to, to come up with things that are authentic, that are really responding to specific communities and specific places. Um, those, those are going to be the best ideas that come out. And even so we talk about this toolbox of actionable strategies because of course cities everywhere in the world do confront same or similar problems. But that being said, they, they're only going to be meaningful if they have the participation of locals who are the stakeholders. It's never going to be, we were always, we'll always have to be skeptical if we have this kind of missionary idea of, or this colonial idea of some Columbia or Harvard educated designer dropping in in some poor place in Mumbai or you know whatever. Um, and and helping this community to 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 figure out their problems. That's not really what we're we're talking about. In in some ways, I think that I think that there's some worry that if it's going in that direction. But and the same debate goes on again in in, in the art world and community-based art. So I think 
that just being aware of how what, 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 what does community engagement mean in the first place? How are communities engaged? Are they engaged or are they recruited? You know, how, how, what is it? Is it is tokenism? Is it real engagement? And are, are, are sessions where people are brought together, do people really feel like what they're saying results in re, results in anything in an in, in actual output? Or is it just, are they just listening sessions? I mean, I've been to so many of these things in New York sometimes where you feel like it doesn't matter if the community shows up and gets their minute at the mic because the city's already decided what it's going to do. So that's why I think that these actions are kind of interesting. I mean, in a way, I would think that a lot of people who are doing these things, they just put on a ski mask and go out and do it. They don't show up to community board meetings. You know, they don't show up to city council meetings and wait for an hour to line up at the mic because they, they know that that's not actually as effective as just going out and painting and, and building and doing what they want to do. Kathy, it's been fun to talk about this work. I loved uh, the exhibition that I saw at the Chicago Cultural Center. And what a, what a pleasure it was to run into you at Governor's Island. Thanks for being our guest on Night Cities. No, thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Kathy Ho is organizer of Spontaneous Interventions, Design Actions for the Common Good. You can follow us on Twitter at hashtag Night Cities and at C. Coletta. Find out first when new conversations are posted by signing up for our newsletter at nightfoundation.org forward slash features forward slash Night Cities. You've been listening to Night Cities. I'm Carol Coletta.